Uh, one of the things that's uh, fairly obvious uh, to all of us who pay any attention at all to the news is uh, incredible disunity in our country based upon whatever, uh, certainly based upon incredible diversity, and we're also incredibly different, um, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, and on and on, different political affiliations. I mean, I'll stop there. It's just the radical point that we are incredibly different, and uh, sometimes those differences can lead to disunity. Well, so what about the church? We have the same thing in the church. And yet we have incredible unity. And one of the reasons that's so is in our text this morning. Uh, the greater overarching reason is God created us to be one. So we are one. He makes us one. And he also bestows uh, gifts uh, to promote unity. And that is where Paul uh, has us this morning. Uh, the gifting of the diverse people in his church. Against the backdrop that our world is diverse and does not have unity. And for us in this text, uh, Paul's going to teach us uh, how to engage the proper use of gifts. We uh, begin perhaps connecting verses 3 to 8 to uh, the new context that we're in, uh, namely that gifts are inspired by the uh, controlling elements of spiritual service and the transformation of God's people. Uh, and that is a duty that uh, falls to the church. We're not to be conformed to this world, and it's incredible disunity. But rather, we're to be transformed. And so gifts fit into that immediate context. Uh, it's also, I think, incredibly important to me to connect the context to uh, the fact that we are to give God acceptable service of worship. As you know from last week, uh, we learned that the word service uh, comes from the Old Testament uh, cultus, the tabernacle and the temple, where the priests rendered service to God. As you know, again, in the New Testament, we're all priests. Uh, one of the great uh, foundational proofs of the Protestant Reformation was uh, the priesthood of all believers makes us different, but it also contributes to our unity. And how do those priests serve? Well, based upon the gifts that God has given to them. But it is the reminder that priests contribute and they serve. properly according to the gifts given to them. And the notion of transformation from verses 1 and 2 is that formally uh, we lived for ourselves. We lived to promote ourselves. We lived only for ourselves. But now uh, we live to serve God in the church. Again, keep in mind, we're not to be conformed to the, to the world, but we're to be transformed. 
One of the ways we do that is the right use of gifts. And in verse 3, we learn that the use of gifts is governed by humility. It's a prime essential. Humility. Because pride will destroy a church, destroy a people. Uh, illustration of this in the New Testament is the church at Corinth. Uh, if you recall, some of the members of that church uh, believed that their gifts were superior uh, with the natural implication that since their gifts were superior, they were superior and better than, than others. Corrected to this is what? God is the giver of the gifts. And, and, and therefore, since He's the giver of the gifts, we should be humble because we receive them from Him. And therefore, pride should never be a factor. Not just in the use of gifts, but in every aspect of our lives. You recall in verse in Corinthians, where Paul is an overarching corrective, says to them, what do you have that hasn't been given to you? Therefore, be very careful of pride. Uh, Paul also illustrates this by way of personal example. Uh, he, uh, he states um, in verse 3, for, for because of the grace that was given to me. And the references to his apostolic office. God gave it to him based upon his grace not based upon anything within him or without him, but purely his sovereign grace. The Apostle Paul gave to him, or pardon me, there was given to the Apostle Paul the apostolic office. Based upon sovereign good pleasure of his will, grace. A controlling influence in your life. He has given to you. I would remind to you in terms of regeneration, he even gave you the gift of faith to believe in the new birth. What a humbling concept it should be. Uh, we, we see a measure of this. Turn to the book of Ephesians. We'll, we'll look at Ephesians 4 on a uh, number of different verses, but Ephesians uh, chapter 4 uh, and the seventh verse. Paul says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, some manner or form, by God's sovereign grace, He has gifted you for service in the church. It's also important to remember that uh, the verb given here is in the passive voice. In other words, God acted upon you simply out of the good pleasure of His will to give to you something that you, of course, did not deserve. Overarching conduct and context is that gifts are the product of grace. So how can you boast? How can you brag? Since He gave it to you. Well, you can't. Uh, in... 
Returning back to Romans uh, chapter 12 and verse 8, uh, Paul quotes Psalm 68, 18 to confirm the origin of our gifts. Picked up very clearly in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Uh, the Old Testament context of Psalm 68 is God's triumph in leading the people from Sinai to Jerusalem. God wins great victories. He gives them the land and distributes the spoils of victory because to the victor goes the spoils. And part of those spoils for us are gifts. The greater fulfillment for us of Psalm 68 is in the incarnation, the ascension, and the exaltation of Christ. And His triumph includes the distribution of gifts as tribute to His conquest upon the cross to protect the church in its spiritual warfare. So this incredible victory and the residual benefits of this victory is that He gifts us to preserve us in the very dangerous world in which we live. Uh, there's, there's incredible beauty uh, in, in my own mind to this. If you turn to Psalm 68 and look at uh, the last verse of that psalm, of Psalm 68, reminder of the majesty and the sovereignty and the greatness of God. Psalm 68, 35. O God, thou art awesome from thy sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. So again, the distribution of the spoils of victory that God gives to us gifts, but he also gives us strength and power in enablement to use them that we might prosper His church and His glory. So who's the giver? Well, God is the giver. Christ is the giver. In the Old Testament, particularly God, the New Testament, now Christ distributing the spoils of His victory upon the cross. The application Paul makes for us, so humility should follow us all the days of our life. Because if it was given to us by the grace of God, how can we brag? But we can't because it was given to us by grace. The explicit instruction that derives from this, Paul says, is do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. It's a compound form. I stress that because sometimes in the use of compound verbal forms, uh, there is an intensification of the verb. I think that's true here. It's literally, do not be high-minded. Be humble. If you've been given something, how can you be high-minded? Since you simply received the gift uh, that was given by God. So we're to, we're to think, Paul says, uh, in contrast to being proud and vain, would he use sound mind and judgment as God has measured to each a measure of faith? 
Now think about that in terms of the grace of God. He gives us gifts. We need sound minds to use the gift. Um, we need power and enablement. God gives all of those things. He even gives us a measure of the faith that we might use the gifts properly. Uh, so, so be careful uh, with, uh, with boasting and pride. So that God distributes the very faith that we need to use the gifts properly uh, for humble service. Something of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, in the context of marriage. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner we're to walk. Well, God calls us in faith. He calls us by grace. He gives us faith necessary. He also gifts us. We're to walk accordingly. Controlling principle. God is the giver. Not just of gifts, but of everything about our lives. And He gives us sound minds in preparation uh, as well as use. And so, use what He has given you for Him. For yourself, as the case may be, but of course, for the church and the glory of Christ uh, to work unity in this incredibly disunified world. Uh, because the church is incredibly different in this disunified world in which we live. Uh, verses 4 to 5, it becomes even more explicit that the use of uh, gifts is governed by unity. Previously, verse 3, governed by humility, now governed by unity. And Paul here repairs to very common metaphor that he uses, that of the body. We have many members. They each, as you know, have a part to play. They're different. It's not just the visible members, but our internal organs all do what? Work together for the unity of the health of the body. All the organs are different, but they contribute to unity. That metaphor now applies to the church. I have an acquaintance of mine who uh, recently uh, had some surgery. Physician took out his pancreas. He really needed that pancreas. No longer has it. Thankfully, in medical science, he can get along without it. Uh, but his body is radically different without his pancreas. And he has to live a very different form of life without his pancreas. My point is what? The pancreas is incredibly important. And each individual that's been gifted in the church is incredibly important. Now I would remind you something that's very elemental. Is his pancreas getting along okay outside of his body? No, it was thrown in the trash. I don't know what they do with those things. Take them somewhere and burn them, I guess. Pancreas cannot survive outside the body. Reminder how incredibly important each individual member in the church is. I say that from the 
broader spot prospect of our culture that uh, so many people seemingly are living lives in which they are troubled by incredible insignificance. Not so of you. Because what God has given you, what He has made of you in your useful service. I also know on occasion uh, Christians who think that, well, um, I'm different. I'm different. I'm that pancreas that can survive outside the body. You really ought to reponder that. Every organ survives in the body to serve the body. And every Christian has been gifted by God for significant service in the church. All of us know people like that. I certainly do. Well, Phil, I'm a Christian, but I I don't need the church. Oh, okay. Rethink that, given the metaphor of the body. The organ can only survive in the body. That's where we serve Christ. It's not that we don't serve Him in our neighbors, at our workplace, we do, but it's intensified in the life of the church. And that He is the head of the body. Let's go back to Ephesians 4. Where Paul also deals with gifts. Uh, he, he gives the church a duty, measure of their responsibility in light of all that God has done for them in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. Now he breaks upon them with duty and responsibility in light of what God has done. He says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're to preserve it. The Spirit made us one. We're simply to preserve it. That's our duty. In the bond of peace. That's what the Spirit works. Unity in the church in the midst of so much diversity is a reflection of the greatness of God and His creation. And so from a practical standpoint, we should mirror the unity and yet diversity and theology of the Trinity in heaven. I mean, think about it. Context of Ephesians 4. Paul's going to go on and radically remind us that there is one body, one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God who is the Father of all. We're to mirror that in the life of the church. We're to mirror the theology of heaven. There is one God, but as you know, the unity of the Godhead, there are three eternal co-equal persons, the same in substance, but distinct, diverse in their subsistence. And yet they're one. So what should the church be? We all have different roles to play, different offices and jobs, different talents and gifts. We're diverse, but we're one. And so we should mirror heaven, not just in gifts, but in every aspect of our life. 
We read about heaven in the book of the Revelation. The saints are praising God. What should we do? Praise God. Mirror heaven in so many things, but certainly in our diversity, we mirror the oneness of the triune Godhead. I, uh, I know uh, people who, uh, whose bodies rebel against them. Autoimmune diseases. I understand that's serious health condition. Um, but if we understand the theology of Romans chapter 12 and the use of gifts, and the theology of Ephesians chapter 4, there should be no autoimmune diseases in the church. We don't attack ourselves. That's that's for the world. That's for um, people who have health conditions. Should not be so in the church because of heaven and the grace of God. In verses 6 to 8, the use of gifts is governed by grace and their function and use. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, and since we have gifts that differ according to the grace that was given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. So lots of things govern gifts. Humility, grace, heaven, now they're function and use. Uh, Paul in this text is going to list seven gifts. Uh, other texts uh, list uh, more than seven. And some list less. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4. This implies to me that Paul was not being exhaustive. Perhaps there are other gifts that he never mentions. I don't know. For whatever reason, Paul only lists seven here. Other texts more and other texts less. I suspect in a measure of that diversity that many people unknowingly use their gifts spontaneously and never consider the origin of their actions. But Paul is telling us the origin. It comes from Christ. It comes from God the Father. It comes from heaven. It's meant to humble us and to serve accordingly. Lots of people see a need and they act and the body is edified for service. The beauty of the church. People spontaneously acting, moved by the Spirit of God for the unity and the oneness of the church. Purpose, Ephesians 4, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of, the, of Christ. Well, I would remind you in this immediate context, something that's very, very important, particularly in our age today, as American Christians. And that is that gifts are to be used in part because of the end time urgency of the tribulation that's present. Where do I get that? Well, Ephesians 4. Look at verse 14. 
As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. That's part of the tribulation. Crafty men who come into the church, who scheme to destroy the unity of the church. Bringing winds and waves of doctrine, sweeping people this way and that so they get confused and their faith is disrupted. So, important use of gifts is to protect the church from such men and women because of the end time tribulation. The times are dangerous. And God gifts us to protect us from the danger. I would remind you that in the Reformed community there are apostolic and post canonical gifts, uh, meaning to me that some gifts uh, that are particularly extraordinary fade in the passage of time, namely the post-apostolic age. I'll list them very quickly for you. Knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation, and discerning of the Spirit. There was an immediate need in the apostolic church for these gifts. God always cares for His people once the church is established, those gifts fade with the apostolic age. I understand that's controversial. Uh, cannot deal with it entirely this morning. Uh, but I think the scriptures validate that. And certainly in the Reformed church, that is well-received doctrine and theology. The stress here is function and use. And you should make uh, that controlling application for you uh, as you ponder what your gift might be. Because the function and use is very critical. Let's look at the gifts that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 12. First, prophecy. Exercise, prophetess to exercise his gift or her gift according to the proportion of faith. It's very interesting to me that the Greek text has the definite article, the faith. So the prophecy was to establish the faith in the apostolic age. Could be a reference to that the prophet, he or she has faith in the discharge of the gift. So that you have a gift, whatever it is. We know God has gifted you from His grace. Uh, the tribute of Christ distributing the spoils of his great victory upon the cross. How do you use your gift? By faith. By faith you use your gift. That God would prosper it, whatever it is. In Scripture, prophecy was revelatory and authoritative. Again, many in the church disagree with that, but it performed assembly. Uh, the authoritative, revelatory aspect of it uh, simply passes with the passing of the apostolic age. Second, gift of service. It may be a reference to a ministerial function in the church, as in the office of deacon, or it could have a broader sense of one engaging the material administrative aspects and needs in the church. The key is what? function and use. The key is to serve. 
Even if you don't have that particular gift like a deacon would have, you're to serve in the church. Larger aspect is a function and use. If God has given you something, use it. Use it by faith. Use it for service. For the body. To protect the body in the midst of the end time tribulation. Imagine uh, giving one of your children a brand new bicycle. They park it in the garage. Never use it. Well, my point is, God has gifted you, however He has. Don't park it in the garage. Use it for His glory. Thirdly, the one teaching is to use the gift in the teaching. So teaching ministry was critical to the life of the church. applies today. We teach. But it applies to all of us who have a measure of a teaching function. If you're a father and mother, and many of you are, you have a primary duty and responsibility to teach your children You may not have the gift of teaching, but you can still teach, and so you should. And I would encourage you that you must. Because the world desperately wants to recruit your children to its cause. And we belong to a greater cause. If you need help in that, certainly the church is a resource. Um, Reformed community has incredible resources for the teaching of children but teach early and teach often that in the grace of God, if it would so please God, He would give your children, your sons and your daughters, the real disease. And if He hasn't, keep praying that God would be gracious and merciful as He has been to you in saving you. It's critically important to recognize in the Reformed community the importance of doctrinal succession. One of our major differences, for example, with the Roman Catholic Church is they believe in papal succession. We don't. We believe in doctrinal succession. We want to transmit our doctrines to future generations because that's essential to peace and unity in the life of the church. It is incredible that when you think of the Reformed community, even though there's Congregationalists and Baptists and Presbyterians, they are essentially one in all of their doctrines. Even in the midst of the diversity of ecclesiology, they are one because of doctrinal succession. I always tell people, in terms of Grace Bible Church, We transmit the theology that has come out of the Protestant Reformation and our doctrinal succession as an expression of a true church. The greatest revival in all of the world, the Protestant Reformation, notwithstanding Acts and the coming of Christ, to be sure, but to preserve that doctrinal succession for the life of the church. The church rediscovered 
what had been lost for centuries by a great revival. That's what we're trying to transmit uh, to you and to future successive generations. Not the papacy, I can tell you. It's the doctrine that Christ has given His churches. By the way, there's a beautiful example of this and uh, if you want to turn your New Testament, 2 Timothy, as you know, uh, Paul's, uh, Paul's last uh, epistle. I'm going to watch the Apostle Paul, his transmission. 2 Timothy 2.2 And the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I think there's like five generations there. Our doctrinal succession is generational. We're not just after our sons and daughters. We're after generations. That's what Paul is illustrating here in this great text. We have Paul. We have Timothy. We have many witnesses. Faithful men who will teach others also. That's how the church is propagated in doctrinal succession. To be sure, there's gifted men who work and study hard in preparation and use, and they use faith to so transmit, and there's doctrinal succession. And the church exists today throughout the centuries because of such and the grace of God. Certainly in terms of Romans 12, this could be a reference to teaching elders, or more broadly, to all of us who teach. Sunday school teachers, fathers and mothers, maybe brothers and sisters, reminding their beloved siblings, you didn't learn that from mom and dad. You didn't learn that at church from your Sunday school teacher. That's what we propagate. Truth of the Scriptures. Next gift is the one exhorting in the exhortation. This is the man or the woman who consoles, comforts, and encourages one to be faithful. To go the distance. Greatest example of that is who? That's right, Christ. He went the distance. Everyone and everything was trying to compromise Him. He went the distance. I love the text in the Gospels. He set His face like a flint to go to the cross. He could not be turned aside. Not even Peter could talk him out of it. Be faithful. Go the distance. And in the church, we all encourage. I think there are people who especially have a gift of encouragement, but we all encourage one another to go the distance, to be faithful. To not turn to the right or to the left. very interesting, the following three gifts do not have the definite article and the object of the gift. And the qualifiers, which I think is very important, are attitude and execution. Fifth, the one giving with simplicity. I think there is a gift of giving. There are certain people who just have the ability by the faith that God has given them to give extraordinary amounts. All of us give. 
but perhaps not in proportion to those with the majesty of, of, uh, of this particular gift. With simplicity. New American Standard reads uh, liberality. Now, I take it as a reference to one's uh, mind and motive. That the giver is to be definite, purposeful, intentional, and without reservation. In my years of service in this church, I've only had one person say, you know, Phil, give me my check back. I mean, I get that. I didn't, what any qualms to me, but maybe he thought of a bill he needed to pay. I just gave him his check back. Because we're to give purposeful, intentionally for the glory of Christ, to advance the kingdom. Our, our wonderful and beautiful kingdom. A kingdom of everlasting peace. Everywhere all over the world, there's warfare and strife and arguments and terrorists. The church won in peace. The grace of God. The gifts of the church. Sixth, uh, the one uh, leading is to lead in diligence or vigilance. Could be a reference to the elders, those who rule and govern, uh, but all of us are to exercise diligence in our service in the church. First Thessalonians 5.12 We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord as the Lord gives instruction. That's Sunday school teachers and nursery workers. It takes diligence Secure the peace of the church. So that we're not conformed to this world. And again, the point of vigilance relates to the end time tribulation that we are in. I want to remind you of this because it's so critical. Returning back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 to 5. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come. And my friends, we are in that time in the American church at large. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. That's an utter reversion of the true church. We don't seek teachers to please us. We seek teachers who will teach us so that we can please God. Some of my favorite words of an American founder, Thomas Jefferson. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. True politically in his age, it's also true in our day in this church to be vigilant that we will remain true to Christ. The exercise of our gifts. Greater application of this to me in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul says, it's required of a steward. All of us are stewards. It's required of a steward that a man or a woman be found faithful, vigilant, 
walking by faith based upon the gifts that God has given to them. Lastly, the one who shows mercy is to do so with cheerfulness and not grudgingly. It's a reminder that the times are challenging. Churches are imperfect. Grace Bible Church is an imperfect church. And people are sometimes obtuse and unresponsive. We, we go the distance because it's not about us. No perfect place because there's no perfect people. But our gifts unify us. God unifies us in the new creation. Here in the context of Romans chapter 12, we have shifted away from justification to sanctification. Here we have the enabling power of the Spirit. Here we can act. In justification, we could not act, so Christ acted for us. Here we can act because we've been made alive. Enabled by the Spirit to live for Him. And so, you're a steward. God has gifted you by His sovereign grace and mercy. Be humble. Be vigilant. Walk by faith because of the age in which we live. That this church uh, would be totally different from the political strife and anger and diversity that is so prevalent in our culture. That we might be a lesson to the world of the grace of God. Controlling principles for the use of gifts. Humility due to God's grace. As the giver, He expects us to use our minds and our diversity to promote unity in edifying the body to prepare us for service to glorify Him. And I might add that they are need-based. You see a need, consider getting involved. And this, all of this does what? Transforms us and the church to be one. And may God so work in our midst to do just that for His glory.